to the Jazz Notes podcast. I'm Ben Anderson. I'm Chandler Holtz. And we are recording this over Zoom. Usually we're in studio together, but the holidays uh, allow us to see our families a little bit, so we will take advantage of that. But still, as always, we like to look back at the Utah Jazz week that was. We look at the upcoming week. We give our jazz grades, and then we answer your mailbag questions, and we will keep that consistent today. We always appreciate you following us on social media. You can find me at Ben's Hoops. You can find Chandler at Chandler Holt KSL. And uh, find us both at KSL Sports and KSLSports.com. All right, Chandler, let's get started with the week that was for the Utah Jazz. Yes, last week it was uh, it was really rough for the Jazz. They had the 50-point loss to the Mavericks and then followed up with two more losses. And we were talking about maybe that was the worst week of the year for the Jazz. But then they come in with a four-game week and go three and one. Yeah, they uh, beat the New York Knicks 117-113 to 113 in a very entertaining game. Go on the road, get their second road win of the season in uh, Portland, 122-114. to 114. The game wasn't that close. They get blown out the second night of a back-to-back in Sacramento. And then, uh, obviously, last night's win over the Nets, where I thought they also looked pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, definitely some good games. Um, and then I'd say the storyline this past week was uh, Colin Sexton. He had 25 or more points in all four of the games this last week for the Jazz. He's been looking really good. And uh, he'll come up later as we uh, go over some mock trades for the Jazz because there was a report that came out that they're willing to listen to Laurie Markkinen trades. But we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, we were talking about hoping that the Jazz could go 2-2 two and two and maybe 1-3. and three. But uh, they surprise everybody. Go three and one. Unfortunately, they are uh, still 12th in the West, which it feels like they've been stuck in for a few weeks now. Uh, but Larry Markkinen is back. So I'd say uh, all is good uh, right now for the Jazz. Yeah, that was the issue that we talked about, that even if the Jazz were to get better, they're not going to be better than the 10 or 11 teams in front of them. So even if they start winning at a higher rate, it's going to be hard to overtake the Golden State Warriors or the Houston Rockets or the New Orleans Pelicans. Some of these teams we've identified as potentially vulnerable to fall out of the playoff chase. Those are still valuable or good teams that have a lot of playoff experience and winning experience. Maybe, uh, maybe the Houston, not so much, but you know, Fred Van Vliet has won a title. Dylan Brooks has been in a lot of playoff series. So without him, uh, I think that, uh, or, or with him now in the roster, that makes uh, the Rockets a difficult team to, to overcome, even for the jazz, even if they start playing better, like they did over the last week. Yeah, definitely. Um, what would you say was your uh, or like the best performance from the Jazz? Maybe not your favorite game. Um, for me, I would say it has to be the Nets. I feel like I haven't seen the Jazz win by 15, like big convincing win like that in a while. Yeah, I mean, I, I think honestly last night had to do a lot with the fifth game of a five game road trip for the Nets. And they were winning in the first half. And then they realized, hey, we are so close to getting on a plane and going back to Brooklyn. Let's just wrap this road trip up. We'll go home. We'll spend the uh, Christmas season at home with our families. So let's just get out of here as quickly as possible. And had the Jazz just laid down, the Nets would have won that game. But the Jazz came out and had a little bit of fight. And the Nets said, okay, you're going to play harder than us. We're not going to try that hard. And it just slowly slipped away from them. So, look, those are the games you do have to win if you're the Jazz. I'm not taking the victory away from the Jazz. You you get those scheduled wins throughout the season. I mean, Sacramento beat the Jazz by 20. Well, that was a scheduled win. The Jazz were in Portland the night before. They weren't playing Lowry Markkinen on the second night of a back-to-back. Sacramento has to win that game, and, and to their credit, they did. But also, you know, it's important to recognize that the Jazz are playing better over their last four games, and it coincides with having Keontae George on the floor for all of three minutes and only getting John Collins on the floor last night. Those are two of the Jazz's worst plus-minus players, and you can say plus-minus is a bit of a you know dangerous stat to throw out there because it doesn't always tell the whole story, but the Jazz have been worse with those two guys on the floor this year. And that doesn't mean they're not good players or can't have, you know, roles in the future with the team, but 
as of right now, they are not better with them on the floor and they're off the floor and Taylor Horton Tucker and Colin Sexton and, you know, even Taylor Hendricks and Kelly Olenek are getting more minutes as a result. And the jazz have been okay with those guys on the court and the plus minus has reflected it. So those guys will be better. They'll continue to have their roles change. I think playing John Collins as the backup center, like he did last night is a really smart move from, from Will Hardy. And I think that's what we're going to see going forward. But uh, yeah, there, there's some reasons why the Jazz are, are three and one in their last four games. Yeah, definitely. I want to talk about that uh, one loss. I saw uh, on Twitter or X that uh, a Jazz fan was talking about how Jazz could have had a perfect week, right? They could be on a four-game winning streak right now if it wasn't for Keegan Murray's performance. And although I agree, if he doesn't hit 12 threes, you're much more likely to win. But at the same time, that was entirely on the Jazz. Like there was a lot of moments where Keegan Murray was left wide open when he already had made eight or nine threes. Um I thought that that was crazy. Honestly, I'm not going to lie. At one point, I was rooting for him to get the record, just witness some history in a Jazz game. Yeah, absolutely. I would have liked to have seen it as well. And you, yeah, you don't want the Jazz to be on the wrong side. But the energy in Sacramento is amazing. They've been, you know, bottom seller dweller of the NBA for so many years. It's cool to see that crowd reengaged because when I was young and growing up, uh, Sacramento was one of the great teams. Chris Weber and Vladi Divac and, you know, you name it. Mike Bibby going down the, the list. That, those were really cool rosters. And the fan base was really engaged and the jazz uh, have some similarities to those teams, though the jazz have never gone on those playoff droughts that Sacramento has. So uh, I like seeing Sacramento involved. I like seeing that they're taking the game seriously. I like that the entertainment in the arena is really high and, and they're rewarding those fans for sticking with the roster. Speaking of road games, we can take a look ahead to the upcoming week for the Jazz. Still one of the worst road teams in the NBA. Like you said, they picked up their second road win of the year uh, last week over the Blazers. They're going to be in Cleveland on Wednesday in Detroit on Thursday, and then in Toronto on Saturday. And those are the first three games of the five-game road trip I was talking about. Hopefully the Jazz can pick up third and fourth, maybe even their fifth road win of the year. I'd say like the easiest one is Detroit. You definitely don't want to lose to the Pistons who are on a 24-game losing streak right now. What do you think about the upcoming week for the Jazz? Yeah, this is a game that I'm sure the Pistons, as funny as it sounds, probably have circled. They're going to have a two-night rest advantage because the Jazz are playing in Cleveland and then fly to Detroit the next night. Cleveland uh, does not play tonight or tomorrow, so they're going to be rested. Yes, they're embarrassed. They want to snap that 24-game losing streak, so they should have an opportunity to do it. And, you know, Lowry Markin didn't play in Sacramento because it was the second night of a back-to-back. I wonder if there's a chance he doesn't play in Detroit because the Jazz are in Cleveland the night before. So the Jazz could be shorthanded, second night of a back-to-back against a team that is very desperate to get a win, and the truth is, it still may not matter. Detroit might be that bad. Yes. That is, they'll get that victory. So there are some seeds of why they might lose that game. But Detroit's very winnable. San Antonio's extremely winnable. I wouldn't write off Toronto other than it's exactly why I just told you the Nets lost the game in Utah. It's December 23rd. Jazz have a long flight back from Toronto, back to Salt Lake City to be home for Christmas in their third game in four nights and could be, and will be shorthanded. I mean, they definitely won't have Jordan Clarkson. We will see if Keontae George gets cleared anytime soon with that foot injury. There's, there's some real off the court reasons why the jazz will lose that game in Toronto. Uh, So, you know, maybe you start out this trip two and one is probably best case scenario one and two far more likely, but you hate to rule out. Oh, and three it's, it's, it's somewhat plausible. (laughs) Yes. Cleveland's playing without, uh, Darius Garland, Cleveland's missing Evan Mobley. They are in a bit of trouble this season uh, with all of their injuries. So that's not an unwinnable game either. Oh, definitely not. Uh, Looking past the next week uh, to the last two games of the road trip, it's San Antonio and New Orleans. San Antonio is the worst team in the Western Conference, and uh, Jazz have shown that they can beat New Orleans. So 
over the whole road trip, hoping for two or three wins, but maybe they can uh, impress us again and pick up four. But uh, yeah. we will see very soon on that. I, I think this road trip really has a the possibility of defining the rest of the Jazz season, where if they absolutely no show and the road woes continue and this momentum they've built up over the last week, winning three out of four is completely dashed, then there's a real chance. I think the jazz just say, Hey, this isn't our season. You're so far behind the eight ball. You didn't make up any ground. You're at that point. If you go one and four, you're going to be like 12 games below 500 entering January. That's when teams flip it over to their young players. And I could see that happening. But if the jazz were to surprise everybody and let's say go four and one, which is not out of the realm of possibilities, maybe you have momentum at that point, you've won seven of your last nine. And you start to think like, Hey, this team gets healthy. You found some things out with how to play John Collins, Colin Sexton's figuring it out. Maybe make a push at this thing and see how good you can be. This, this five game road trip is uh, sneaky, pretty important for the jazz. I can definitely see how it could set the tone because if you look at the two, uh, the first two weeks of January, Jazz have a tough schedule. Really, Dallas, Boston, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Denver, and Los Angeles just in the first two weeks of January. So, and you and you finish twenty twenty three against Miami. Yes, uh, in what could what will be a tough game. So, yes, if the Jazz don't win here on this road trip, it's going to get really bad really quickly, and all of a sudden they're going to be 15, 18 games below five hundred, and you're going to say, whoa. What happened? What happened to this team that, you know, wasn't good, but was kind of hanging around. And all of a sudden they're going to be, you know, Memphis will overtake them. Portland has the chance to overtake them in that stretch as well. Uh, Chandler, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will give out our jazz grades and answer your mailbag questions. Stick around. More jazz notes coming up next. Welcome back to the Jazz Notes podcast, Ben Anderson, Chandler Holt. All right, Chandler, uh, good week from the Utah Jazz, but how yes, is it reflected yes. in the grades for the veterans, for the young players? Fun factor, and then, of course, in the standings. Let's start with the veterans. What was your thought? I'll, I'll just preface this by saying that I think we can definitely expect the best grades of the year so far for the Jazz. They followed up their uh, worst week of the year with debatably their best week, and specifically the veterans. I think the past two weeks, the veterans have been somewhere in like the D, low C range for us. But with Colin Sexton and Laurie Markkinen's return, I'm looking at a maybe like a B. You could even argue B+. plus. Yeah, absolutely. Colin Sexton, 27 points a game. He's shooting unbelievably well. 53% from the floor, 38% from three, 93% from the free throw line. Four and a half assists, three rebounds, only two turnovers. This is as good as Colin Sexton's been. And then Lowry Martin and I kind of thought like, oh, he's kind of had a quiet week. Uh, didn't, you know, came back from injury. Didn't have any like huge, huge games. And he still averaged 20 points and shot 50, 40, 90, essentially while adding eight rebounds. So, uh, and then let's not forget Taylor Horton Tucker, who probably had his best week also shooting uh, 49% from the floor, 40% from three. Like Colin Sexton had four and a half assists a game and also averaged 19 points. It's not a coincidence that when the Jazz veterans get a good grade, the team has its best week of the season. I mean, veterans are yes. how you win games in the NBA. You don't win games with young players. Even when we're given the young players, you know, A's and B's early in these grades, uh, you can't win with young players all that easily. So, yeah, I'm thinking B, B plus for the, the veterans, but I think a B plus is probably pretty steady and maybe uh, maybe even a little bit low. This has been a very good week from the Jazz vets. 
I like it. Yeah, let's definitely do a B plus then. Uh, let's look at the young guys now. Um, this is the first week of the year that we haven't really had a lot of Keontae George basketball. Actually, uh, yeah, I think none. For the most part, uh, Taylor Hendricks stayed in the rotation in the win over Brooklyn. He only played seven minutes and didn't score, but uh, still in the rotation a little bit. And then uh, Walker Kessler. Walker Kessler had a pretty decent week uh, against Brooklyn again. He put up 14 uh, points, 14 rebounds, five blocks. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna go lower than the veterans for the young guys. I'm gonna say a B minus. Yeah, I think B minus is fair. Ochai was up and down. He was pretty good last night, but did nothing in Sacramento. Same with Walker Kessler. He was really bad in Sacramento, but was pretty fabulous last night. So uh, I think that's fine. Taylor Hendricks, you're right. I think he's gonna be out of the rotation now that John Collins is back. Now we will see how long that lasts, but no second half minutes for the uh, for the rookie yesterday. So he might be out of the rotation. And then when Jordan Clarkson and uh, and Keontae George eventually come back, whenever that is, that's two more bodies taking up minutes. And I think it's going to be hard for Taylor to find time unless the Jazz absolutely hand the ball over to the young guys. Otherwise, he's probably headed back to the stars. And I think that's fine. He showed that the stars were really valuable for him. But uh, yeah, B minus. Happy for that. Uh, happy with that for the Jazz. And uh, I think Walker Kessler's four blocks a game was probably the highlight for the young guys over the last four uh, four outings. Yeah, so now let's look at the standings. Um, last week, the Jazz were in 12th again, but uh, I'm pretty sure they were about like five and a half, six games um, out from the 10th seed, and they climbed up a little bit. They're still uh, sitting behind um, the Golden State Warriors in the standings in the West, but um, they're just, okay, two and a half games back from the Warriors, and then still, actually, they did not climb up any from the 10th seed. They're still about uh, five and a half games. Um, so I'd say we probably stick around the same, like a D minus D. Yeah, they're, the nice thing for the Jazz is they're closer to the 10th seed than they are the 15th seed. Yes. So if you want to say there's some rosiness there, and that they went 3-1 and one over the last four games and actually got a road win, which is rare, I'll probably be a little more generous with my grade. It is the holiday season. I'll say B-. minus. I mean, honestly, it, you know, they, they haven't climbed in the standings, but you can only win the games that are in front of you, and they did go 3-1. and one. Yes. I like that. I like that. Uh, looking on to fun factor. Definitely one of the more fun weeks for the Jazz. It's it's kind of funny that uh, earlier we were talking about how Keontae George adds a lot of watchability and fun to this young Jazz team. Uh, but without him, maybe one of the most fun weeks of the year so far. I'm going to go with maybe like another B+. And I think it felt a lot better because Taylor Hendricks was out there playing well for Jazz fans to feel yes. like, hey, there's still some value in these games. It's not just a bunch of veterans who probably won't be on the roster in two or three years winning games unnecessarily. Taylor Hendricks is also playing well. There's some growth there. And I think maybe you've got a sense that maybe there's a long-term role for Colin Sexton in Utah and Lowry Markinen, despite some of the trade talks, and we'll get to that coming up in the mailbag, you know, reiterated he wanted to be in Utah and showed how good he can be. So yeah, B plus a minus. This was a, this was a fun week to be a fan. And look, even the Sacramento game was relatively painless and uh, had a great moment of highlights uh, from, uh, from Keegan Murray. That was even a fun game to watch. Yes, definitely. All right. You want to get into the mailbag and some trade talks? Yeah, let's get into the mailbag. We only had one response. I know I sent my prompt out a little bit late today, uh, but Chandler, who did it come from? What was the question? Uh, yeah, it came from Glenn Anderson, and we actually got one more, funny enough, also a trade question, so we can touch on okay. that as well. Um, uh, if you were Justin or Danny, what would the offer have to look like to trade Larry Markkinen? There's a few uh, follow-up questions that I'll uh, get into here in a second, but for some background, um, I think last week, a report came out uh, from Yahoo Sports' Jake Fisher that reported that the Utah Jazz are willing to listen to offers for Larry Markkinen. Basically, um, it just went on to say that the Jazz don't see Markkinen as untouchable, which I would say isn't the biggest, uh, craziest news that you, you could ever hear. Uh, sure. Because if you're talking about like a Luka Doncic, 
uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, like a top 15 player, you're likely going to have to trade your top 30 player in order to get him. And to the point where we were talking about both Giannis and Luca potentially being gettable in trades. Well, if those guys can be had, Lowry Markkinen can be had for the right yes. price. I think that's what's important to remember. Almost everybody can be had. And uh, Lowry Markkinen fits into that group as well. Uh, yes, definitely. So for follow-up questions, he says, uh, which teams do you think could make that kind of offer? Would you prioritize young players or picks or both? Or would you simply not trade him? Yeah, I, I think this trade has to, if you were to move Lowry, and I'm going to just say it right now. I would not trade Lowry. Yes. I'm on I'm on team don't trade Lowry. I think those types of players are too hard to replace. He likes Utah. I think he's sincere about liking Utah. He has a young family. He's lived in a big city in Chicago and it wasn't, you know, it didn't make him a better player. He didn't seem to crave that celebrity. So if he likes being here, you've got him on a cheap deal for the next two seasons. He still fits your timeline because he's only 26 and only getting better. I, I would have no interest in trading Lowry. But you know, what would you prioritize young players or picks or both? He's good enough that you get both. I mean, yes. you, you get everything for Lowry Market and you don't say, ah, well, you had to give up young players or you had to give up picks just to get this deal done. You don't have to trade Lowry. So if you do, it's because somebody gave you, you know, everything you could imagine and more. In my opinion, I think the only way or reason that you trade Larry Markkinen is for a win now trade, right? There's been a lot of talks around uh, doing a lose now trade, uh, for lack of a better term for the Jazz, sure. like, get, picking up some picks, right? But I think if you're trading Larry Markkinen, you're adding other assets, whether that be another player or picks or both to get someone in that top 15 conversation. Uh, agreed. I don't think the Jazz feel motivated to make the deal i mean you can lose with lowry it's the truth yeah, yeah you know you can lose all you want with lowry and this roster is currently constituted so if that's your concern that doesn't need to be an issue but that doesn't mean teams won't come with offers and you did some research and found some hypothetical trades that have been put on the internet yes yes i have i i went on to uh, the nba trade idea subreddit and i was looking for some uh, jazz posts and i found one that i thought was kind of interesting um okay. it has Laurie Markkinen, THT, and Chris Dunn going to the Kings. Um, it's actually a three-team trade that sees the 76ers getting Harrison Barnes, but we'll just focus on the Jazz and Kings. Um, the Jazz would get, in return for those three, Marcus Morris Sr., Keegan Murray, funny enough, Davion Mitchell, and two first-round picks, one from Sacramento, one from Philadelphia. So essentially the Jazz give up Lowry and the expiring contracts of Taylor Horton Tucker and Chris Dunn. They get Keegan Murray. Davion Mitchell, an expiring contract in Marcus Morris, and two first-round picks. Yes, exactly. Um, I don't think you're getting an all-star back. I think fans got to recognize. I know there was like this weird little love affair with Davion Mitchell because he and Donovan Mitchell had similar names, and <laughs> I think they wore the same number. Yes. And they were like goofy with each other in uh, Davion Mitchell's final season at Baylor. Uh, Davion Mitchell's probably not an NBA player. Yeah. I know he's young, but pull up his stats this season. I'll do it really quick. He has been absolutely horrendous and when the uh kings are playing their best it generally does not include davion mitchell his third season in the nba he's averaging four points two assists he's shooting 35 percent from the floor and 27 percent from three like quite literally that's every g league guard if you were to pull up and grab from anywhere and play him 14 minutes a game they would give you those numbers and i get yes. it he's got some elite defensive traits but so does chris dunn so, like, you might be losing a Chris Dunn for Davion Mitchell trade head-to-head. -head. Like, one-to-one, yeah. -one, that might be a bad trade for the Jazz. So you're basically saying two picks and Keegan Murray for uh, for Lowry Markkinen. 
I just don't think that's enough. You would really have to believe that Keegan Murray has all-star written all over him. And I don't even think fans in Sacramento feel that way. Yeah, definitely not. Like like I said, if you're trading Larry Markin and you need to do a win now trade, and this is sort of like a rebuild trade getting Markin and out, which I don't think is a good idea. And, and I like Keegan Murray, 16 points a game, six rebounds, younger than Lowry, obviously, not a ton younger. He is 23, so he's three years younger. Uh, and is only in his second season. You know, if you're looking for the young guy who's good and could potentially break out a la, you know, we've seen what Tyrese Halliburton's been able to do or what Shea Gildas Alexander did after getting traded from the Clippers to the Thunder. I, I could see you trying to make a trade like that. I don't know if Keegan Murray is the candidate that I believe is going to do it. Also not a one and done guy like the rest of those players who did break out as they were a little younger in the NBA. Uh, yeah, I have one more for you. Um, this one I think is a little bit more realistic and also doesn't involve marketing. So maybe jazz fans will like it a little bit more. Um, you're trading John Collins and Colin Sexton. Uh, Colin Sexton has been definitely increasing his trade value, at least in the past week. Um, and you're getting Ben Simmons and a either 25 or 27 Phoenix first round pick or a 2028 Brooklyn first round pick. Okay. Reset the pieces one more time. Yes, so Ben Simmons and a first-round pick. It could either be Phoenix's in 25 or 27 or Brooklyn in 28 for John Collins and Colin Sexton. Uh, you're never going to see Ben Simmons play. I mean, yes. I'm, I'm just – I'm totally out on Ben Simmons. So you're trading Colin Sexton and John Collins for a future unprotected pick from either the Nets or the uh, Suns, potentially. The Suns could be really interesting in 2027 because – they are in such bad salary cap positioning. They're already not very good this year. That is maybe the most valuable asset you could find. Yeah. And still, I wouldn't do it. Yes. Uh, I don't want to deal with Ben Simmons and the back injury and keep waiting for him to come around. Uh, I think, again, you've seen enough from Colin Sexton recently to recognize like, hey, there might be something here. And whether you like or dislike John Collins, it's a $25 million contract that I think you're going to be able to trade again when it's expiring or he just fits in over the next couple of months and next year and becomes an important player on your roster. So I, I don't really feel the motivation to make that trade. Yeah, definitely not. I would say it would become a lot more interesting if they, if they were willing to give two first round picks with Simmons, because I mean, right now the, uh, the Brooklyn Nets are sort of in a place where there's just sort of stacking up on talent, right? They don't have any top 15, top 20 players, but they have a lot of really good talent with McCall Bridges, Nick, uh, Nick Claxton and others. Um, so sort of just adding depth to the roster, but are they willing to give up two first round picks for two rotation guys? Um, I don't know. Uh, I put together a trade that if I were hypothetically trading Lowry marketing, this is the type of deal I would require. Do you want to hear it? Yes. All right. I have Lowry marketing to the Indiana Pacers. So I want both the young players and players with a little bit of meat on their bone already who have already shown that they've got some potential and there might be something there. And even then, I still don't know if this is enough for me. But Lowry Markin into the Pacers for Jarris Walker, who I know a lot of Jazz fans liked in the draft this year. He got taken two spots uh, ahead of Taylor Hendricks, has not played hardly at all yet for the Pacers, been mostly with their G League, uh, but kind of an intriguing big body that you could pair potentially with Taylor Hendricks in the front court going forward. And then Benedict Matherin, who was all rookie first team last year and has had a pretty good second season as well, has the type of potential to, like I said, break out potentially in the future like a Shea Gilgis-Alexander or like a Tyrese Halliburton, ironically, in Indiana right now. 
his uh, second season right now, he is averaging 14.2 points. It's actually a drop off from last year uh, and four rebounds, two and a half assists. His shooting numbers are pretty good, though. They've improved 45% from the floor, 37% from three. Uh, it looks he started 12 games. He's kind of been a six man last year. But again, he was a one and done at Arizona, only 21 years old. Might be some real upside there as a go-to scoring option on a team, plus an unknown you know, commodity who's still young and you could develop in Jarris Walker. And then I would want, I think, at least two first-round picks and maybe three. You might as well ask for three in 2026, 2028, and 2030. And what I like about that is that staggers the picks that the Jazz are getting from Minnesota and Cleveland, which happened in what, 25, 27, and 29, I think if I remember correctly. So you end up with extra draft picks in every draft going forward. I could potentially see that kind of deal, which you get young, you get more draft picks, and you have a guy in Matherin, and even Jarris Walker, who could potentially develop into something. Honestly, I really like that trade because I could see from the Pacers mindset, they want to capitalize on this, this incredible year that Tyrese Halliburton is having. And then they add another score alongside him, get some more assists in his pocket. And then you're keeping guys like Bruce Brown and uh, Miles Turner, who uh, are sort of like glue guys for that team. Um, and then the Jazz are getting young players and draft picks. I, could, I, I would say that's definitely better than both of the community trades that I brought. Yeah, if you were interested in going young, full-on rebuild, adding good young players who can play today like Benedict Matherin and then still adding more draft picks. That's probably my type of hypothetical that I think you would be looking for. You just can't get these mid-level middle-aged veterans that don't do anything for you. I, I don't have any interest in that. And Lowry's contract at $17 million plus the jazz having cap space to take back money makes it really easy to make these types of trades. Uh, so that's the type of deal I'd be looking for. All right, I have uh, one last question for you, and then we can go ahead and wrap up uh, this episode. Hypothetically, Dallas starts going downhill fast, right? Uh, Luca and Kyrie are not meshing very well anymore, um, and they're slowly falling down the ranks in the West. Uh, Dallas decides to move on. Would the Jazz, or if you were the Jazz, would you make a trade sending out Larry Markkinen, maybe even Keontae George if you're talking about Luka Doncic, and then whatever other salaries and picks needed to pick up Luka? Yeah, I think Luca's so special that that's the type of trade you have to make, especially if you didn't have to throw every good young player you have, which yeah. Taylor Hendricks is intriguing. You know, we, we haven't seen, obviously, Bryce Sensabaugh, and it's, you know, he's a 28th pick. You have no idea if that's ever going to be anything. But if you could keep a Taylor Hendricks and a Walker Kessler and still have a little bit of talent around Luca, like a Colin Sexton or a John Collins, and you think those guys can make it work because Luca is so special at getting everybody involved. Yeah, I think you got to make that trade. I mean, you, the hardest thing in the league is to get top five players. It's so yeah. impossible to do. It's why you tank entire seasons to get those guys. So basically anything they ask for, you give them, and you hope you don't have to give up both Keontae George and Taylor Hendricks. You know, that's that's basically what you're willing to do and why you've acquired all these draft picks. And I will tell you, having talked to people in the Jazz organization, they think they've got enough firepower to make two types of trades like this. So – Yes, you may say, ooh, that's a lot to give up for uh, Luka Doncic. They feel like they have enough future draft picks that they could potentially make two home run swings. And so if you have to overpay for one, you're just fine doing it. Thank you guys for tuning into the Jazz Notes podcast. Uh, we will not be recording an episode next week. We're going to give everyone a little holiday break, but we will be back for the new year and we're going to ride it out for the rest of the year into the offseason.
Yeah, very uh, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to everybody out there. Be safe. We always appreciate you listening. Following us on Twitter at Ben's Hoops, at Chandler Holt KSL, and at KSLSports.com. And we will talk to you in the new year. Bye.